Uh, yeah. Iron Man and Vision just spent the last 90 minutes taking turns punching me in the head. I guess you could say I'm having a real case of the Mondays. Welcome to Film is Lit, the podcast where we take a piece of literature and compare and contrast it to its film or television adaptation. My name is Danny, he, him. I'm the self-appointed film expert. My name is Laura, she, her, and I'm usually the lit expert, but I think in this episode, I'll probably take a back seat to people who know the Marvel universe better than me. (laughs) But you're still, I think, well-versed in what makes good Well, multiversed. Ooh. (laughs) I didn't even write that. (laughs) That's phase four, though. We're not there yet with Civil War. See what I mean? Yeah. Take it away. (laughs) Speaking of Civil War, today on the podcast, we are covering Captain America Civil War, the 2016 film based on the graphic novel Civil War, released in 2006 by Mark Millar and Steve McNiven. Steve McNiven did the illustrations. So we, we have a lot to discuss because the gap between source material and then film adaptation is huge. There are, are a vast amount of differences to discuss here. Similar themes, but in terms of plot characters, very different. So it'll be super fun to discuss that. Today is also a special episode. It's another guest episode. We, You know we love those. Mm-hmm. He's a friend near and dear to my heart. This has been a long time coming. He is a frequent podcasting guest. He's very knowledgeable in the MCU. It's my old friend, Pete Kohanic. Pete, say hi. Hey, so happy to be here to talk about the Cars 2 novelization. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Cars 2 underrated Pixar. No, I uh, actually haven't seen it, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> none of, to be clear, none of us have seen Cars 2. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, it's, it's, I'm so excited to be here to talk about non-Captain America Civil War. Yeah. The or, third uh, Captain America movie that isn't a Captain America movie. Right. It's Avengers 2.5, basically. Oh, I guess I did forget because it's Captain America Civil War. Yes. Isn't it, isn't it just title. funny how easy it is to forget that? It really that is, is so just kind funny. of... That is so funny. Yeah. For a non-hardcore MCU follower, it yeah. makes sense for you to make that That mistake. completely dropped out of the title for me. And and also, like you wouldn't know watching it because you're right. Captain America isn't really in a lot of the movie. <laughs> kind of crazy. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nor does he have a lot of character development, although we'll get to whether or not that's a problem um, in the movie uh, in a bit. We'll get to our opinions soon. But yeah, Pete and I go way back. I had his dad in elementary school. He was the technology teacher, a.k.a. the coolest class (laughs) you could take. You want to play Bugdom for an hour? Sure. Put him up on the old Mac. (laughs) He also, hey, he taught me how to type. And I think he'd be proud to know that I now type with not all my fingers yet. I still haven't incorporated my pinky, but the rest, I'm pretty, I'm pretty fast. It's mostly pointers and thumbs, but I'm pretty, pretty dang fast. I'll, I'll, I'll let him know. And I'm sure he will be moderately proud. Yes. But yeah, I have very fond memories of attending his class all throughout elementary school. And then Pete and I finally became friends in high school. Pete was huge in the uh, theater department. He's a very talented singer. 
Uh, in fact, he's going to sing us a song right now. No. <laughs> but very talented singer and actor. Um, and I would make a ton of movies, as I've discussed in the past on this podcast, with you know my friends, my little camera, and I'd I'd try to uh, ape off of uh, Pete's talents and put him in my uh, my videos. Although I wasn't very organized back then, so a lot of times I had these lofty ideas, and I'd invite. <laughs> Pete over I'm like wait a second the idea changed and then we'd record three minutes and then it'd be sundown and Pete's like well I got to go back home I'm I like, ride my bike back home yeah <laughs> but yeah we were good buddies but also rivals in the Westfield High School one acts um, infamous uh, hotly contested <laughs> Westfield Massachusetts I've heard about these yeah Listen. it was a bloodbath yeah <laughs> much like Civil War whoa <laughs> The themes actually are comparable. Uh, yeah, because Pete is one year younger than me, so we are not in the same class. We are in different classes competing for the best one acts. And therefore lesser than. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course. Exactly. <laughs> we became friends with the secondhand film critics because of you. That's right. We do have you to thank for that because they're such a great they're the best great pair yeah yeah about a year and a half ago pete shared the podcast that he was on one of the many podcasts that you've guested on the secondhand film critics and that's when we first downloaded to listen to you and then befriended them and the rest is history Mm -hmm. so we are so pumped to have you on pete why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh before we get into the analysis Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be here, too. I've been so excited to, to do this and and be on so- talk about something Marvel and, um, you know, just get to be pretentious for two hours, I think, is really what I what I like to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's not much else to say about me. I mean, I pretty much stopped uh, developing as a person in high school. So you pretty much have all that. Um, I am, you know, as you said, I'm an actor. I'm also an improviser. I'm currently uh, working on a small indie show here in Philly called Corpus uh, that is premiering at the end of September, which is not going to date this recording at all. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, and and so, you know, I haven't really been able to do any professional work. I moved to Philadelphia about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago, and um, with the hopes of doing theater. And I did my first show in February of 2020 and was so excited to finally be doing live performance. And this was my first, this is my big break. Um, it's, it's all uphill, up, all uphill from here. No more <laughs> broken shoes. And, <laughs> you know, but now I'm finally able to do something again. Um, and yeah, what else is there to know about me? I mean, that's pretty much it. I'm a pretty two dimensional person really don't like your comedy bang bang shirt that that's not true well that's not right i have depth i listen to podcasts um i'm a huge comic book fan uh love 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 the mcu pre 2021 um no i i really like uh i've loved the marvel movies uh being a kid when they started coming out into now you know i'm a big fan of connected universes i'm a little concerned with where they're going but Mm. You know, I feel like I can still enjoy where they've been and try not to totally drop the nostalgia element of it, because if I do, I am going to be more annoyed than enjoy anything yeah. that they put out. But yeah, that's that's pretty much all there is to know. I'm interested to hear. We don't have to go too far into this since it's sure. not 
directly related to civil war, but I am interested to hear about your experience, like you said, post 2021 movies and like your opinions about where the Marvel universe is going. Because like I said, I, I don't think that I had watched a Marvel movie until 2016 or or 17 Mm -hmm. when we met. So it's not something that's really ingrained in me. And I'm interested to know from a, a long time fan like how you see where things are going. I'm interested sure. to hear your opinions. Yeah, it, it does suck because just the element of growing up, you you start to see the cracks in things anyway. Of course, and, yeah. You know, and, and now it's hard for me to see it not just on the storytelling perspective, but also on like the business perspective and corporate side of it and how manufactured things have become. And Mm -hmm. that's not to say that the things that I enjoyed as a teenager weren't manufactured. Um, (laughs) And so I I really think that there are certain memories and things that I will always hold on to connected to these movies. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall it's a, it's a lot harder to enjoy them. uh, I think Uh, just because whether you want to look at it as, as cynicism or just that's grown over becoming an adult or actually having good criticism of <laughs> story. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm excited to talk about that too. Yeah. I do want to say that when, when things started, when the MCU started with, you know, your Iron Mans and your Hulks and whatever, I had seen Iron Man and was really getting into them from there. Captain America was my first like real fascination, um, which wasn't until 2011. Growing up, we had we grew up around Six Flags and they were had mm-hmm. all of the WB properties and DC characters. Mm-hmm. So if we were on vacation somewhere as a family, I would pick up the Batman or Superman comic book that was at the supermarket. Right. And that's what I would read. It wasn't until high school when these movies started coming out. Now, granted, I will, you know, I'm not going to totally discount it that like as these movies have come out, my understanding of the books has grown and grown and grown. Um, But I originally started not knowing really anything beyond sort of what people said about like, oh, there's this and that. I had no idea who Thanos was when the first Avengers ended. I was like, wow, they're bringing the Red Skull back. And then... um, a good uh, mutual friend, Kern McKenzie uh, told me that was Thanos. And I was like, what? And he's like, mm-hmm. don't you know who Thanos is? And I'm like, I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then that Thanos became my favorite character from there. But all that to say, long story long, I read a lot. I wasted a lot of time and I enjoyed a lot of time. But I, I certainly want to put the disclaimer that my knowledge is certainly not all encompassing or that storied. <laughs> Well, you're certainly more educated than I am on these stories. And that's why I'm really excited that we have an excuse to talk about Marvel on the podcast, because I don't I don't even know how much Marvel content is based on original um, graphic novels. Mm-hmm, for sure. So you, it was a, it was a surprise to me to even find out that this was a graphic novel before there was a movie. I had no idea. So okay. I'm just really glad that. And I mean, when I say we don't have to go into a lot of the future of the MCU, I'm actually really interested in like pulling in a lot of these elements because I'm not okay. sure how much we'll be able to cover on the podcast. Um, so yeah, I'm, take us away, take us on a journey, or at least take me on a journey. <laughs> yes, no, me too. Two tickets, please. Um, yeah, strap so on. that strap in. All right, um. strap on. <laughs> Get a strap on, strap it in, and let's talk Marvel. So that that goes to your journey. So you have no. This was the first time you've. Well, no, it was the second watched, time you yeah, watched the movie. This is the second time I so, watched the movie. Yeah, with the lead up 
to Infinity War back in 2018, I had shown Laura some of the relevant films leading up sure. to that. So Civil War, Thor Ragnarok, as well to show Laura where Thor and Hulk were during that time, um, and, and a few others. And to oh, Black Panther, we saw in theaters. Oh, that was fun. I did really like Black yeah. Panther. And so I showed her those movies, and at this point, I had seen all the Marvel films, but I hadn't read a single graphic novel or comic. Um, to go a little bit in my background, it's funny, I guess Six Flags is the reason why I was big into Batman and like It's It's weird. It, it just has that effect on you that you're just like, oh yeah, I can buy merch of something. I'm yeah. interested in it mm-hmm. as a yeah. child. Yeah. So I was huge into yeah Batman, also because the Christopher Nolan films were coming oh, out. Oh yeah, when we were oh, those were huge. Yeah. yeah, middle school uh, and high school age. That is oh, like yeah. well, you prime. Know what? You know what's funny? Like again, I I've never really been into superheroes. I guess I wasn't really probably socialized into superhero. That is them. funny. You're right. But um, I did see The Dark Knight in theaters, which shocks me because oh. even now I feel like it might be too dark for me to watch. Wow. But I think and that's that my a touchstone. Dad, yeah. And my yeah. dad took me, and I think I might have even seen it twice. Like, I'd have to confirm that with him. Well, everyone who saw, liked it, saw it, it twice. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he took me to the theater, and I was like, I was scared, but it was still like a cool movie. Like, even when mm. I was very young in eighth grade, I was like, wow, this is like something different. Oh. Heath Ledger really blew me away and like really scared me. So, like, even someone like me who was mostly watching Harry Potter, um, I I watched like the Batman movie just because it was such a phenomenon. So. Right. Well, it definitely yeah. expanded what I think everybody thought, what general audiences thought, what a comic book movie could be, because sure. you have your Spider-Man one and two, which were like also like, I don't want to say the same kind of level of of groundbreaking, but at the mm. time, audiences thought, well, you can't make a good superhero movie that isn't too hokey. Mm-hmm. And then Spider-Man comes out and it's like, wow. But then Spider-Man 3 comes out and they're like, oh, that's yeah. right. This is where it always will end up. But then Dark mm-hmm. Knight comes out and you're like, oh, wow, this is this is art on a certain mm-hmm. level. This really mm-hmm. is. And then um, Zack Snyder's like, I can do that, too. <laughs> and yeah. the rest is history. It's just <laughs> kind of deluding Zach. people that that could be the art. And it's it's tough. Interesting. Zach is great um, at uh, making a pretty picture. I'll tell him, I'll say that uh, in terms of the other elements. Well, we don't have to get into that. We're not talking about Zach Snyder. Anyways, it wasn't until 2008 when Iron Man came out and there's a lot of hype around it. I remember that. I went to see it with my brother, Tim, and we loved it and immediately became an MCU fan. And when it comes to this movie that we're talking about today, full spoilers, by the way, for both the book and the movie, I have fond memories of it because I had just graduated college and I was mm. back in Boston and I went to go see this with my bro- other brother, Matt, and a uh, past guest on this podcast, Charlie Reichenbach. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to go see it in a theater in Somerville. And this was right around the time. Somerville. Yeah. <laughs> 2016 was actually right around the time when Massachusetts started serving alcohol in theaters. I don't know. Oh. It, it wasn't that long ago, but mm-hmm. that's and when. you still can't buy alcohol in a grocery store, which blows my mind. Right. But... Yeah. It's Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's crazy because I grew up I in California, until... so I had no oh, idea. Right. And I forget, too. Like, I'll walk into, um, what's the place where we go? Big Y. 
it's no surprise. Why? And it's like, wait a second, I can't. Where's the where's where's the the gin? (laughs) But anyway, sorry. Yeah. So uh, that's a very fond memory of just getting a big tall beer. I just graduated, ready to start my life (laughs) in Los Angeles. Just I, I was I was on cloud nine. Really loved the movie when I saw it. Although I was disappointed at the end because I'm like, no one died, and they they kind of seem they kind of seem okay. <laughs> like they had a they had yeah. a war, a civil war, or more of a fight um, in an airport, which was incredible. Very but cool. Listen, these movies are event viewing. You go, yes. you're excited, you see it. You don't want to think more on it. That's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. You walk out of the theater and leave it all behind. Yep. Yeah. So it, it wasn't my favorite Marvel movie, and it still isn't my favorite Marvel. Guardians mm-hmm. um, is, well, I think will always be my favorite, the first one. Then when Infinity War comes out, and the big thing about Infinity War is the fact that everyone's separated is the reason right. why they don't beat Thanos. Infinity War is my number two favorite after Guardians, and it uh, retroactively makes Civil War better thematically, in my opinion, because these events caused the Avengers to fail. So I really think that even though I still have a few problems with it, this has been an MCU movie that I've returned to in the past many times and I, I think I've seen it like maybe six or seven times. I just love it. I really love the on the ground action. The Russo brothers really focus on the hand to hand combat. And I mean the stunts in this movie are just breathtaking and incredible. The stunt coordinator is Mickey Giacomazzi. Kamazzi. Kamazzi. So shout out to Mickey. Um <laughs> I'm just like, I'm, I'm obsessed with the action is so good that it makes up for some of the other of the film's downfalls of the the script's downfalls. I think so too. Yeah. And I'm not, I should say I've seen all the Marvel movies, but I'm not a fanboy. If the movie is good, if the action is good, the effects are good and the story is good. I'm going to, you know, rate that baby a a four out of four and vice versa. If it's not good, if it should have been a TV show like The Eternals, like I'm going to rate it like a. <laughs> right. I'm going to rate Listen. it like a one out of, out of four stars. So I'm you said very... the E word. So I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to pump on the brakes for a moment just, just before I, I start steamrolling about how much I despise that movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say not to draw out your story, but I think the, the two times that I've watched it were with you. And I think on average, you rewound and watched the moment when Sebastian Stan, like, steals the motorcycle from that, that guy going one way. And he, oh, like, God. it, like, it goes, like, and he goes the other way. I, I honestly think that you rewound and watched that four times, the two times that we watched it that together. That <laughs> is the coolest Yeah, that stunt, I have scene. to say, it's, I've- like... Uh, yeah, that scene itself with them yeah. so yeah. running on the uh, freeway, yeah. uh, a practical stunt where they had stuntmen on uh, basically conveyor belts that they laid across wow. the highway, just moving. Uh, real stuntmen running with uh, other stuntmen driving the cars. Of course, they throw in CGI when Black Panther is jumping from car to car, but when they're right. just running down the road, that's all real, uh, yeah. and it's incredible to that's look awesome. at. So. 
yeah, this movie has a lot of great stand up and cheer moments, mm-hmm. which I think the Russo brothers knew exactly what they were doing with that. So yeah, that's that's my journey. I didn't read the comics until we had to prep for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first comic book that we're covering on the podcast. We've covered graphic novels before uh, with Watchmen. Oh, Watchmen counts as a comic a... book. I don't care okay. what anybody uh, says. I don't want to. I, I know that's difference. contentious. Listen, you can DM me. You can come in my at <laughs> haters. At me, yeah. at me <laughs> haters. Okay. Um, the Watchmen is not a comic book. It's about comic books, though. All right. Yeah. It's yeah. a comic book about comic books, and it's and it's, it is it released episodically. It's it's in issues. Come on. Okay. So is that, that is that the definition of a comic book if it comes out in issues? Not necessarily. It released as issues, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it came out within 12 issues and then was collected. And I think that where a lot of comic book media misses the plot is that the idea that some of these stories should be told in smaller segments. Mm. They really do need to be serialized to really get the depth of character that you're looking mm. for and where... Mm-hmm. I didn't really notice it th- that much when I first saw this movie, but more so now after seeing Thor Love and Thunder, um, which really just opened my eyes to them trying to put too many things into mm-hmm. one thing. Yes. Um, where like you can put some of these things over. You already know you're going to be making these $400 billion movies. Mm-hmm. Why not put this here, decide to have this here instead of saying you've got two hours, you got to fit all five of these things in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's where the manufactured element, I think, of it comes into play. And there's just you're trying to do too much with it. And so that's that's definitely something that I think they did with this. And it's something like with Watchmen in particular, it's like, yeah, you're going to need a month or two months. I don't know exactly how frequently they released each issue when it came out, but like, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and read the black sale, whatever. And then going to be like, all right, time to turn the page. Like I'm going to need a minute. Yeah. Okay. I love this conversation because (laughs) I have never read any manga, comic book, graphic novel outside of this podcast. So I've Uh never been, introduced to like a slow burn development of characters in this way and i think the way that you're explaining it to me right now is probably why i don't love reading comic books because i really struggled with Watchmen the first time i read it i was like same i and and even like the structure of comic books like they're really not set up in a way that i can like stay interested for some Mm -hmm. reason but i think i'm probably just pushing myself to read it in one sitting like a book. And I feel like the way that you, again, you just described reading things is kind of like the way that I had to learn in college how to read poetry because I majored Mm. in English and I had never read poetry in the way that my poetry teacher like taught me that you can actually enjoy it and understand it, but but not read a poetry book like you're reading a novel or a nonfiction book. So now that what you're saying makes a lot of sense that I'm just sort of like ingesting it too quickly, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, for sure. And I mean, like when you, when you're in taking any other story in, you've got, you know, even in what you would, would consider what I would consider a graphic novel where it isn't broken up into issues. It's not as serialized. You have a beginning, you have a middle, you have an end. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you have a story that's going over 
a number of issues, whether it's six, seven, 12, whatever, each issue is going to be a beginning in the middle and yeah. maybe then another beginning in the middle. Then maybe you get a, an end and then maybe you get the beginning middle. Maybe you just get a middle and an end. Yeah. And that pacing is all based on the total arc that they're doing, but then yeah. also based on, okay, we need to wrap this up with this character, this with that. And, and spending that time is going to be missing and really feels like they could be doing that with the Disney plus shows, but they're not mm. for some reason. Yeah. That's, Oh my gosh. This is like yeah. completely opening my eyes to some stuff about like just pacing. Like you're talking about, like now it, it, it actually does baffle me why a lot of this stuff wouldn't be made into a show. When, because Watchmen like, worked great as a Watchmen, show. I was just going to say that like the movie, when we watched the movie, I did not like it because mm-hmm. I was like, wait, where are all these elements that we got out of the, the, the comics or graphic novel mm-hmm. and then we watched the show and i was like oh my god they're delving into all these people and they have time to spend like an entire episode developing this one very key character that we literally need to watch for two hours because then we understand their motivations for like this very minor you know decision like those right. are the things that i love being drawn out so i like that you've kind of reframed comics in my mind for like being able to take the time to delve into these like conversations and character arcs that you don't get in a two hour movie. And now I think I understand why sometimes like with Marvel movies, I'm like, I don't really care. Um, right. For sure. But, but with something like, like Loki or something that can be drawn out, right. Things are a little bit more successful. Yeah. Loki does it pretty well too. And yeah. and it makes you mad when you see something like that, that does it right. And you're like, okay, well, why can't, well, why, why can't you just it? do it right? Why can't, why is it so easy? Why does it seem so seamless for this creative team to do this? Yeah. With something like, you know, with such a touchy or specific source material, you're able to expand it in this way. What happens? Yeah, it's also when you have the mix of shows and movies, sometimes it can feel like if a story has ended and then a character comes back and has changed fundamentally, that feels kind of like a betrayal of your time. For uh, sure. A waste of... Like, yeah. like with WandaVision, how Wanda has a whole arc, how you feel about that arc is irrelevant because in Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, different character altogether, and it's kind of retconned. Time to time to just be an evil woman, I guess. Yeah. That's just so, what we want her to be in this role. Yeah, Surprise! So, so <laughs> that's what... development uh, who... Yeah, right. Laura, I don't think you'd like phase four because it's very much a mess of a directionless mess. The, yep. the projects themselves aren't good. And within the MCU, they don't work, which is so strange because phase three, in my opinion, so expertly set up the different stories right. to lead into Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah, so that it's that's so a whole baffling. Other, yeah, so baffling. It's as if they had a different editor or something, you know, somebody a different someone else other than Kevin Feige overseeing everything, which as far as we're aware of, isn't true. Right. And when you have, you know, to transition seamlessly into the, into the book and, you know, civil war, something like civil war. Um, and this is like really fundamental comic book stuff. So if I'm like, I'm, I'm trying not to just like mansplain it completely. No, um, please. I'm, I'm actually open to mansplaining and <laughs> I'm asking for it. So, okay. Um, <laughs> this is what we would consider an event book, right? Okay. I mean, it says, it says right on the front, a Marvel comics event, event books usually come out. I mean, nowadays they, they come out about every year. It used to be every couple of years where you would have mm-hmm. an event book and 
Civil War was one of the big event books of the early 2000s. Brian Michael Bendis, who is another prolific uh, comic book writer, um, he didn't write Civil War itself, but he was writing the New Avengers book, which at the time was like the main Avengers book. It tied into each of these um, each of these events. He had his own events that he wrote within it. And so you have these creative teams and, you know, your editors who are overseeing every single book, um, you know, running story or uh, type title, if you will, um, at the same time. So they say, you know, okay, so in issue four of Civil War, this is going to happen. And this needs to affect this character in this book. Even if this character doesn't appear in Civil War number four, Mm-hmm. they are indirectly impacted by they see it on the news or they do it here, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that affects this course of action that they take. And so the interweaving of all of the other books typically will be framed around that event. Mm-hmm. Usually the event books will come out during the summer months, um, sometimes a little bit before or after, depending on the type of time of year and exactly what they're doing. But this is sort of where everything comes together. These are your Avengers movies. If we're mm-hmm. thinking about it in terms of the films, right? You have all of your individual stories, your Captain America movies, your Iron Man movies, Thor, etc. And then they come together for the event book, which is the Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it, cam- when it comes to Civil War, there are, I want to say, maybe like 10 or 11 other series that were running concurrently that have Civil War tie-ins okay. that are also pieces of the story in the greater universe. This makes a lot of sense. Like when Danny was telling me like, oh, when Civil War is going on, this is where Thor and the Hulk are, is like Ragnarok. So this is making, it's like putting that into context about like, oh, these characters are over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's making, that's kind of like stitching it together for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Pete, when was it when you first read the comics? I think I first read Civil War. It must have been my first year of college because I started reading Marvel comics more seriously. It was probably 2011, 2012 before I actually had access to it. Um, we didn't have a comic book store in our hometown, so you had to go sort of nearby to some of the other towns that had them. And so and then even then, it's like, are you going to be able to find something that's currently running in single issues? Or do you have to like go to a Barnes and Noble to get the trades, the paperbacks of the full thing? But then I started reading more seriously, I guess you could say, in college. So it was probably 2013 or 2014. Definitely in full swing of other MCU stuff, knowing that this was coming. Definitely in a period where I would try to read things in anticipation just to sort of see what they would do with the story. Um, And then seeing, oh, okay, how how can we, how are they going to go from here to here? Because I know in this book, this character's emotional journey is completely different than what's going on in the movies. So how is that going to change? And then civil war, they were just like, it's the next winter soldier movie. Y'all just, just go with us. Yeah. That's definitely a huge difference right off the bat that we can talk about is that the movie does pivot from being about the Sokovia Accords and the breaking up of the Avengers to a last minute, winter soldier sequel right let's back up a bit to the inciting incident of the stories so in the graphic novel 
what sets the whole story in motion is this group of young Avengers called the New Warriors, which haven't been introduced in the MCU yet. So they couldn't do that for Civil War. Mm -hmm. um, they're creating this re reality TV show and trying to get ratings. And they hunt down a group of on-the-run bad guys. And one of the bad guys, Nitro, does his powers and sets off this big explosion, killing 600 people in a neighborhood, which was a huge... I, I was not prepared for that when yeah. I was reading it. That's Those page kinds four. Of real world stakes are also something that really came into play in the 2000s. Um, yeah. That was a big, I think also made it a lot more interesting because it modernized comic books in a way that wasn't just like, I'm going to punch Mothman who's, you know, having this space adventure. It's like, no, yeah. children died. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down. I don't want to get off your your train of thought, but I actually did write that down too, where I was like, I actually kind of appreciate that they're looking into this sort mm -hmm. of collateral damage issue. Which is not that something is that really comic books even did. And then Watchmen was kind of the, Watchmen, not to just yeah. keep going back to Watchmen, but that is kind of what broke it <laughs> Yeah, into sure. that medium. Yeah, that's that's what really like reminded me of Watchmen was like, oh yeah, like people are getting hurt, even though people are like, quote unquote, getting saved. That right. sort of thing. But anyway, right. sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kids, that, which is Yeah, important. and children, right, because they were, like, on the schoolyard. Right. Yeah. And in the movie, it's kind of the Avengers B team <laughs> at this <laughs> point, uh, left over from Age of Ultron. They're on a secret mission in Lagos, Nigeria, running into crossbones, and they, they stop him. But Wanda accidentally, while trying to stop crossbones, setting uh, off an explosion she ends up transferring that explosion to a public building. Much less carnage, but... But carnage nonetheless. But carnage right. nonetheless. And uh, William Hurt, rest in peace, playing the uh, secretary Thaddeus Ross, makes it clear that he shows them a whole PowerPoint, which has been memed to death by this point, <laughs> but of all their uh, past missions and saying, like, you need, you need to be put in check. What's similar between both the source material and the movie is that there's a woman, Miriam, whose son mm. died during an Avengers-related event. So in the books, it's at in the beginning with Nitro setting off the bomb. With Miriam, it's uh, her son died in Sokovia. Thus, the Sokovia Accords were created. Yeah, Miriam in the movie played by the wonderful, underrated Alfre Woodard, who was in uh, The Gray Man for a, a brief scene. We're big fans of her on this podcast but yeah so that's that's kind of the huge glaring difference between mm. it's it's a much somber more serious start in the graphic novels now i do think the movie is still manages to strike that somber balance but it does have a lot of the signature mcu quips that i spoofed at the beginning of this episode but i think it's not overblown or it's not like love and thunder to bring up what to Pete was talking about earlier. It's not something that's like so many jokes and ideas. And I right. think it's tastefully, I think the humor and the drama is well uh, mixed and integrated. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it's, it's like, um, I think that it still was characteristic enough without being too jokey. And then, yeah, I definitely think that that's something that they've also, they know that those are audience winning moments mm -hmm. and then that's it. Um, but then you get a movie like the Batman, which is like 
not a comedy by any means, but was one of the funniest movies I have ever seen in my life mm-hmm. because of the circumstances and just letting that be, you know, he jumps mm-hmm. off the building and just like bites it on top of a bus. Yeah. Like, of course, this emo goth boy is going to, you know, not fly above the city. Um, right. But that's hilarious. And and they did, a. They, I think because the Russo brothers were coming off of Winter Soldier, which was tonally just suppo- specifically supposed to be more dramatized they already were kind of in that headspace yeah which was good you know something that i i wrote down when i was reading the comic i'm trying to find this one line which was a little over the top for me to say the least i was like oh my gosh it was something (laughs) something when they were fighting oh here we go here it is so they're they're in the middle of their big um fight it's like right in the middle of the comics and one of the character go characters go captain beware <laughs> and i right. thought that was such a silly way of inter- like of speaking but i think something that the film actually did really well was introduce that in the vehicle of ant-man because right. ant-man speaks the way that i thought the comics spoke but it's a joke and and yeah. we're laughing at ant-man because he's obviously the least other than maybe peter parker he's the least i guess experienced or he doesn't have a lot of the like like the savoir sort of of all the, the mission rest of the critical characters. mindset. Yeah, exactly. And so I actually thought that that was a fun callback in a, in a way to sort of introduce that humor that wasn't right. necessarily situational, but it was like a great a great vehicle to like sort of sort of poke fun a little bit about on the on the comics, but also like be genuine to what the movie was trying to say. For sure. Yeah. So in the comics after this tragic event occurs and Iron Man um, agrees that superheroes should be put in check. The Superhero Registration Act is passed and that's run by S.H.I.E.L.D. and that S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't exist by the time Civil War is out because in The Winter Soldier the whole plot is that there are HYDRA agents who have infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. and have basically Turned it corrupt. Okay, I'm trusting you on all that. <laughs> yeah, Winter Soldier is a solid, okay. solid movie. Which um, in the books, Iron Man, you know, he sees coming. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of individual issues and and things that sort of extend beyond this. There's a, a kind of a prelude book that, again, uh, it's it's so hard to look at one specific thing, but it's also like we have to, you know, like there's, if I'm going to a, a comic book store or a Barnes and Noble or something, and I'm seeing civil war, I'm going to pick that up, which I think also I have a whole thing about how gatekeeping in the comic book community is such a hard thing to avoid because mm. on the one hand, you've put all this work into reading all of these extra materials and you've like, you've really lived and researched it in a lot of ways. Um, and somebody who's just like, yeah, I love comics. And it's like, you don't want to be like, yeah, you don't know anything though. But also (laughs) you've spent a lot of time and effort to learn what you know and Mm -hmm. to know that there's something different. But I think it's important to still come at it with an attitude of like, that's, that's great. You know, that's a great place to start. Let's, let's bring you in here. You should read this. You should read this. Mm -hmm. You should read this. Anyway, again, I have a whole thing, uh, about how it's really important to be inclusive and, and to help people into it. Um, but all that to say, also, I don't expect you guys to know a lot of these other finer details. So I'm happy to add that, the commentary. Oh, yeah, um, Iron Man 
meets with the uh, the Illuminati, you know, this this group of sort of the heads of the families of the most powerful people on Earth, your Doctor Strange, Professor X, Mr. Fantastic, uh, Black Panther and Namor uh, of Atlantis and our uh, Black Bolt and and says, look, I know this is about this is going to come down. I don't know when it's going to come down, but. I'm a futurist. And that's another big thing that I feel like they should have leaned into in the movies is his whole thing is, you know, I can't predict the future, but my whole thing, my whole, the way my mind works is that I can see patterns and where things might end up and are likely to end up. And this thing is going to get passed. I don't care what happens. We need to decide now as a community, how will we respond to this? And in a two and a half hour movie, everything's reactionary, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, it's happening. How do we feel? Okay, Mm -hmm. well, then there's this, there's this. It also, I think, robbed Steve of a lot of, you know, yes, he says, well, I think it's wrong that these people are now having to give up who they are because they're doing good things. But then ultimately, it's just about Bucky. Mm Mm-hmm why is the civil war part that's not Mm -hmm. you're not breaking apart fundamentally about this one thing you're breaking apart because your buddy is not is is under under fire you know and i think that weakens it being a captain america movie Mm -hmm. because then it's not actually captain america civil war right i mean captain america he loves bucky and will protect him no matter what to the point where he doesn't him not revealing to Tony that he knew that Bucky killed his parents. How did he know? Also, um, I at first I had that thought, uh-huh. but then I rewatched Winter Soldier, and that scene when he's bombarded by the evil computer. I don't know if you remember that, the, uh-huh. but the Hydra computer. There are a bunch of clippings and right in succession, it's talking about this uh, Winter Soldier, and then it shows the newspaper clipping of Tony Stark um, like found uh, dead with his or, or the Starks found dead on a certain oh. road. And I think he puts it together there. But that's a big gasp moment for sure in the movie when I mean, if it wasn't clear by then that Tony, <laughs> that Steve is forever will love and protect Bucky. I mean, that is that's Except for when he thing. literally breaks the rules of time and all dimensions and everything they set up for two, three-hour movies and saves his romance with Peggy instead of Bucky. Oops. That's true. Well, he d- he didn't know he could do that then. Until uh, that it, moment. Until was... he forgot about it. He was just his mind on one thing. Yes. So, that's <laughs> so, it. Yeah. But also, um, the, yeah, but and it's it's so crazy because that moment is like, it's so wow in, in the movie theater that you totally not until like rewatching it did i realize like oh yeah no they totally go all right forget whatever disagreement we had we have to deal with this mm-hmm. and then that was it that's why cap and steve were fighting it never mm-hmm. became about the issue again mm-hmm. and they'll probably never bring it I up in our movie i didn't think about it in that way because i was just kind of along for the ride so i kind of took it on assumption that which is a, a strength of the movie, though. It is such oh, sure. a well-crafted ride that you kind of, again, these flaws I am forgiving. I feel like a big hypocrite here, if you listen to past episodes, be critiquing certain plots. Mm-hmm. The flaws are present, but what the Russos get right is what the people came for. 
Of course. Which is the please, the action. like me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, same. I mean, I was, I, I, for a long time, this was like one of the best MCU movies in my mind. Cause you're just mm-hmm. like, wow, that was so cool. That was crazy that they did this and that. Well, another reveal, I'm not sure if you had more thoughts on that, but another reveal that I don't think I realized was a reveal because I've watched all of these out of order, of course, mm-hmm. but is Chadwick Boseman, Boseman's T'Challa. I didn't yes. know that nobody knew that he was Black Panther. I was kind of like, well, his dad died. So like, of course he's Black Panther. Like, duh, right. doesn't everyone know that he's a superhero? Like that his dad was Black Panther. Um, but Danny was like, no, like nobody knew that Wakanda was like this technologically advanced community yeah. country. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that you have to like, in the moment, if you were watching this in the theater, you'd be like, oh shit, like there's another superhero out there. Um, right. We but... knew that he was going to be in the movie as Black Panther. We had no idea what kind of role he would play. Right. And yeah. so it was so, which, listen, rewatching it this time too, out of everything that like, I was like, man, this really did not age well or this did not work. Watching mm-hmm. Chadwick Boseman, still the best arc character arc in that movie percent that has not changed since i saw it so i wrote down a bunch of things about chadwick and one of the things that i adore is the way that he talks about the mantle of king and how he talks about like the weight of the power that he now has and there's this whole conversation about like him taking on that power too soon because his dad wasn't ready to die and oh my gosh like i'm getting chills just talking about it because it's really it's sometimes when you look at the other marvel characters it feels like they've always had that like that privilege without understanding like the the power that comes i mean i guess spider-man kind of has that conversation around like with great responsibility or great power becomes great responsibility but a lot of the the superheroes you kind of just feel like oh yeah like i have a a power and I have the right to use it. And I think that kind of goes into the conversation of like, you know, should we be regulated or not mm-hmm. by the Soko- Sokovia Accords? Yep. Um, but like with T'Challa, like he goes in understanding that this is a huge responsibility and it's not about like looking cool or making your own reactionary decisions about who you're defending or Mm. not defending and stuff like that. I think he already comes in with that knowledge. And I think just that alone makes him a deeper superhero character that I really enjoyed watching. He even kind of like, I'm like, what side is he on right now? Like he's, he's only out for revenge in the beginning, but then by the end he's not, and he's come around to the villains his like, whole thing about vengeance in the end is exactly so fascinating. One of the best, I think, pieces of writing in yes. all of the movies. I And I wrote the same thing down. I was like, I said, emotional twist, although late with Stark's parents' death. And mm-hmm. then the comments to Zemo's family or around Zemo's family, honestly, like, is he wrong? And he connects with T'Challa on that really deep level. I'm like, T'Challa is watching him going through this emotional processing of his family being killed and like, T'Challa gets it, yeah. you know, and yeah, and I was like really taken by that emotional t- plot twist in the end. Which, I thought that was really yeah, compelling. which is why the ending is so solid in a subversive way because you have two twists. You have the plot right. twist of the Winter Soldiers not coming into play of Zemo killing them, but you also have a twist of Black Panther is there in the background like a actual cat mm-hmm. stalking, <laughs> and you're like he's gonna come into play. 
and he kill never him. does. He's kill somebody. Nope. For yes. sure. I love he, like oh the the retracting his claws. Yeah. Oh Oof. my gosh, that's just yeah. so cool. And yeah, and how the big theme of the movie, what he says is like vengeance has consumed them, but I won't. It, it has consumed you, but I won't let it consume me. Yeah. And so he ends up having the biggest arc, like you said, the strongest arc. That is another thing we should say. We're talking about similarities and differences. The comics, Spider-Man and Black Panther had already been introduced mm -hmm. in the MCU. By this point, they hadn't been. Uh, Spider-Man, because of legal battles with Sony, I'm not sure what the deal was with Black Panther. I don't know if they found the right opportunity yet or what. But yeah, yeah I think that comics, was more of what it was. Yeah. In the comics, they were already introduced. And another reason why I admire the movie so much is that it has two plots going on. It has the Sokovia Accords thing and then the Bucky thing, which is, mm -hmm. becomes the main plot. But it also introduces not one, but mm. two major characters and doesn't waste any time. And it feels organic. It doesn't feel shoehorned in like, yeah. hello, DC much. I mean, in Batman v Superman, they literally introduced characters via PowerPoint, like a thumb drive. And it is the lamest shit I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. I, I will never forgive Zack Snyder for that. I, I don't care what anyone says. But in this movie, there are two plots going on. And then they introduce, I mean, smack dab in the middle of the movie, Tony Stark is like, I got to go to Queens for one, a, a hot second. I feel and like it, they it could works. have foreshadowed that a, a teeny bit more on a rewatch, knowing it as an audience member that this is coming. It's one thing. But like I was thinking of it, like if I hadn't seen this before, I would be like, why are they going to Queens? Like, what what are you doing? But I felt like that a little bit. Yeah, right. But I'd you sort of past, get it. But yeah, I think the yeah, movie. Think well, then yeah. that's the thing is, I think the movie moves along fast enough that you're like, yeah. oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Agreed. I, I didn't realize that he had not been introduced yet. I knew that T'Challa was new. That's a yeah. lot of weight to pull but, in a single movie. Yeah. And and I, gosh, the only thing, because I think, um, what's his name? Tom Holland. Tom Holland is so sweet. I've seen so many TikToks and like cute little things about him and Zendaya. All the more power to him. But his accent in this movie is a little bit forced. <laughs> there were some times where I was like, oh, It's, it's funny. I didn't notice it the first time. But when you said it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's. Well, it's like, because he's talking in his regular um his like English cadence. And I think it doesn't right. work because usually yeah. if you change your voice for an accent, it'll, it'll naturally go either up or down. You're just the, the tone of your voice or mm -hmm. you'll change cadence, but it's like, he's trying to use his. Every sentence still English. ends with a question mark. A little like bit. Like a British person. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. So that's, oh, I think uh, where it uh, but he's, uh, uh. Yeah. yeah, but he's very sweet. He's and so I cute. do really, I think that they did a really good job with casting um, him as the sort of like, sort of hormonal teenager. I don't know what I'm doing, mm -hmm. you know, very. Oh, um, for sure. And I, I kind of like the erratic. Yeah, that's a good word. I like that Iron Man doesn't necessarily take advantage of him, but I think it's a good example of how his like forward thinking places him in that apartment because he's like, well, if I don't influence him right now captain america could, could very easily figure out that he's someone that could be pulled onto their side so i need to do it first so it's not like yeah it's not exactly manipulative but he doesn't discuss all of the options or all of the complexities about it's the a little more uh, objective Parker. in his 
you know, put, picking him up. Yeah. It's tactical. Yeah, yeah, definitely tactical. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's too bad that Spider-Man wasn't able to be more established because he is such an intrinsic part of the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is a huge part. I mean, he is, he, in a lot of ways, he's the audience surrogate. Yes. Where you sort of look at it and you say, okay. And, and I don't think Civil War really has that as much in the movie because in the book, he's very much like, okay, here's a person I trust. I understand that there's this great responsibility. And if this is what they're saying is our responsibility, it's a no brainer. And then eventually he's like, oh no, this does not end well. It's, it's that whole question of even though it's the law, is it, is it right? Is it just, is it good? Which I think really could have helped the Sokovia Accords element of it really stay in there. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I don't think either the source material or the movie is anti-regulation. I right. think they're, they're definitely anti-fascism. That's spelled out way more in the graphic novel, though, because, I mean, even Black Panther has that quote uh, in the graphic novel talking about what the Registration Act will lead to. And he's saying a super police force covering all 50 states Mm -hmm. and me helping him hunt down the superheroes who disagree with it, saying he referencing Iron Man. So it's a lot clearer that S.H.I.E.L.D. in, in the book they're not looking to regulate like if you're looking for the one-to-one comparison they're not like regulating cops they are creating a fascist police force now even though civil war the movie a little silly a little stupid in some parts i do admire the uh conversations uh the debates that they have i think those are genuinely well written they do a good job at not favoring one side or the other too much I would say most people who watch this movie are team Captain America, but it's not like I know plenty of people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm on Iron Man's side for sure. The movie is more of like super regulation is lame. Like we, we want to keep them in check. But what Thaddeus Ross is going for is kind of like, oh, he's imprisoning people who are not falling in line. They don't have access to lawyers or anything like that. Right. That's it's now all of a sudden that, we're the military. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's leaning fascism, but it's not it's not completely like a police state like it is in the graphic novel. So that's another right. huge huge difference, mm-hmm. I would and say. And ultimately, again, not something that you're able to do with the medium of comic books is you're able to tell what happens next in a much more expanded way and over the following couple of years you get this situation where Tony is now the head of shield and he thinks I'm going to be able to do things differently because I'm me and I have all these superheroes behind me. But then one thing leads to another Norman Osborn becomes the hero of the scroll secret invasion. All of a sudden people are like, well, you know, similar to other famous politicians who were previously something else. Um, not to put too fine of a point on it. It doesn't matter what a, how much of a terrible, evil, villainous person he was. Right now, he's our hero. He's our guy. Where now you have the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. is already the you know head of the Avengers because of Tony Stark. 
And so now Norman Osborn comes in and becomes the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., becomes head of the Avengers. Now he's got bad guys being the Avengers and everyone's underground. Mm -hmm. And truly, it shows what that power can do when wielded by somebody else. And S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. really leans into what Norman is doing. I mean, Mm -hmm. like they're kind of like Maria Hill is, is opposing him on certain things and he puts his own people in. But he kind of just extends what they're already doing. And I think that showing how they showing how no matter what the good intention is, this is what it's going to lead to. Mm. It's this neoliberalism that is like, well, you know, this is enough. Mm. And then the fundamental issue is still the same. And I think the same would have been would have been true if Cap had sort of been the predominant voice there. Because you see right. in the book really clearly that this idea, this this fight over ideas is killing him and making him a person who will take in the Punisher and make yeah. these deals with the devil. And that's not good either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you guys think about that? About that sort of when he sort of starts turning into this general little bit more of like, well, this is what how it needs to be. This is the only way we can do it. I, I thought it was super compelling i mean you can see how good intentions can be skewed bad when you believe something so hard i mean that's what that's what makes both the book and the movie so compelling is that while there's no like big bad in the book the big bad in the movie is kind of he's not a villain in the traditional sense he plays he plays the ideologies of the avengers off each other to create conflict so you can see how belief like pure passion can lead someone to think something so right into something doing something so corrupt or or maybe misguided um i think both the book and the movie accomplish that successfully although as a non-comic book reader i don't see how anyone could read the book and then read additional issues and like ever come to iron man's side again because he goes really Spoiler alert, Iron Man wins, quote unquote right. wins at the end of this book. And he's not, it's like, it's very depressing. It's very dour. It's not like the cool, happy ending or not like a kind of a positive note, like the movie ends on with like, we're separated, Tony, but one day maybe we can come to fight on the same team again. It's like, no, Captain America, he's committed. Captain America has sacrificed the battle voluntarily lost when he could have won and yeah iron man is just it doesn't matter if he's right or wrong like what he wants is happening so did you have that problem reading iron man in future issues like does he become more of a hardcore villain or does he eventually well i think yeah he starts slipping into this this it's it's like you can't not become a fascist because of the way that this is the direction it's heading um he also has um in Iron Man 3, he has the extremist stuff that's like the self-healing magna sort of thing. That is something that helps him integrate the tech of the suit into his own like actual organic body. And so that's something that is starting to also like corrupt his mind and make him like make really terrible decisions and like mm-hmm. not think of things as subjectively. And so he's also it's also representative of sort of like falling into this like this is the black and white. This is the only way we can exist. And ultimately, right, there's this rift that's created. And like his Avengers team doesn't feel quite right. Like you look at them and you're like, well, 
yeah, but the heroes who are on the street, your Luke Cages, your Daredevils, the people who are with Cap originally, they're really taking care of issues here that need to be taken care of. And yeah, he doesn't really bounce back for a long time. And when Secret Evasion comes around and the Skrulls are infiltrating, have been infiltrating society, the shape-shifting aliens, all of a sudden they don't know to the left and right of them if the person is an alien or not. And chances are it's kind of like a sleeper agent situation where they may not know either. They're already so divided that that is just like torn into, which is so cool and interesting. And, and, and the fact that they're already like, I really feel like the consequences and the stakes of the book really reach out and like take root into what's going on. Whereas in the MCU, it's like, maybe, maybe there are consequences. And then you go to infinity war and you're like, okay, this pays off. Okay, great. But if I'm not, you know, if I'm just kind of a casual viewer, I may not put that together. Um, And I guess the same could be said for the comic books, but yeah, Tony, Tony is just not, (laughs) He just keeps making mistakes. He's not chill. He's like, he needs to like cool it. Right. Oh, oh, that just reminds me. Um, There is sort of an epilogue um, that I don't know why they don't, don't include it in the trade. But essentially, so Cap being arrested eventually leads to him getting killed on the uh, steps of the courthouse where he's about to be tried. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. So he is shot, a uh, sniper shoots him and he dies. And it's a huge, big deal. The death of Captain America. Right. Like, Whoa. right. And so that happens within Captain America's own book. Ultimately, it's discovered that it's this whole other plot. His like consciousness or something isn't totally like gone. It's kind of being preserved and it's a whole thing. All of Captain America dying is independent of civil war in, in a lot of ways. Right. I mean, obviously, He's being escorted into the court. There are protesters outside and he's attacked on on the steps and and ultimately dies. And so the only reason he was in that position in the first place was because of civil war. Um, But that's just kind of one of the big long term consequences of it, which also you can do more in that medium. But it felt like the movie was lacking some of that. Um, Mm -hmm. But after that happens, there is a one shot, which is essentially a slightly bigger issue of a comic book where it's not like going to be a run. It's not going to be more than one issue. That's it. It's a one-off. It's like a short film. Basically they even did what they called one shots with all the Blu-ray releases of like phase one and two Marvel movies. They call, they did these like Phil Coulson little eight minute shorts and they they called them one shots, which I was like, that's great. Now the movies are going to be serialized like events. And then you're going to have TV shows that are like issues and the one shots. And then mm-hmm. this sucks. Nothing is happening the right way I want it to be. And I'm going to be mm-hmm. mad about it on the internet. So <laughs> in the one shot, Tony's kind of reflecting on, I don't remember the specifics of it. Rose to me in the, in the ads um, <laughs> on Twitter. Um, We've got fans. really mean fans, like They're super mean, so brutal. It's me. It's, it's me yelling at all your it's other just fans. You on like it's five just, different accounts, it's just right? <laughs> just yelling at each other. Yeah. Um, basically, it's Tony like giving this. I don't know if it's it's a letter formed as a letter or just him talking, but basically talking out loud to Steve, being like you i hate you because you knew this was going to happen like you mm-hmm. said what you felt and you were right to and i should have listened mm-hmm. and here's where you are and it ultimately like culminates in 
Tony sitting over his like bloody corpse laying on a table in a shield helicarrier. Wow. Like, oh my God. With his head like hung low and just being like, man, F you for, for being right. I'm mm. so, and so like that kind of moment of him being, and I think that really drives home the, the brother versus brother element of it a little bit more of like, I hate that you made me do this. Like there was nothing that we could have done. Otherwise you refuse to put away your ideals for one moment. And I hate you for that. Mm. And ultimately they have to, you know, eventually cap comes back and they have to reconcile that. Yeah. <laughs> and then Tony's like, Hey, be a part of the Illuminati. And then they do one bad thing and Steve's like you need to stop this I'm out of here and then Tony's like alright Steven wipe his memory and then they do and then Steve finds out about it again and like almost kills Tony oh Whoops. goodness it's a, a lot a lot happens drama. there <laughs> such yeah. drama see that first turn for Tony is so much thematic weight whereas in the movie Tony learns that Zemo had a mask of Bucky and then he's just like oh shit I guess I guess Cap was right. So it's kind of very right. fleeting when you compare it directly to the source material. Right. It just kind of it, it, it loses so much so much weight and, and effect on everything else. And I think that it's also fleshed out in the comic books a little bit more that Tony really tried to do everything he could before mm -hmm. he before this actually went through. And that's mm -hmm. something that I still think should have been shown in the books a little bit clearer but in one of the spider-man ties in he brings peter to congress and like he's like hey i need you to be with me to like experience this closed session so they talk to me and stuff and just so you understand what's about to happen and he's like there debating with these members of congress like you need to understand people are gonna react differently to this and also like you shouldn't do it this way you need to do it on our terms and ultimately the machine says no and then it, you know, sort of smash cut to them all in Avengers Tower, which I love when all of the heroes are in the book at Avengers Tower and the Watcher shows up mm. and there's this. Oh, 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 no moment where they're all like he only shows up when things are really about to change. Mm. That is not Stephen. Stephen Strange is like, mm, this not does not forebode very well. Right. I think everything is just a little bit more balanced. Um, could you do that in two and a half hours? I don't know. Mm -hmm. They also didn't have as big of a world to play with. Certainly. Right. Yeah. The amount of characters are is significantly less just because they haven't been introduced yet. Or that was the, the story decision. Some characters were away like Thor and Hulk. Yeah. I think the climactic second act battle between both the book and the movie is much different in terms of numbers, right? Because mm -hmm. at the airport in Berlin, in Germany, it's six people on each side. And in the book, it's much more. Now, this segues exactly to where I want to talk about my favorite thing ever, the airport fight. Right. I mean, well, need I say any? The only say reason... More? I loved that more than anything in the movie was because of the freaking stair car moment so funny i so had good. Well, watched that. this movie before and i had forgotten about it so yeah 
the Russo brothers, I guess I'll explain it only because Danny reminded me of the context of this, <laughs> but I immediately recognize the stair car from Arrested Development. So good. Arrested Development has been my favorite comedy show since it came out until, I don't know if I think you should leave Eclipsed it, but it certainly matched how much I can literally laugh out loud by myself watching that show. Like I don't laugh harder at any show other than those two shows. Um, And so the Russo brothers had a hand in the pilot. And they were also producers, so they were a big reason why that show had a great first three seasons. Unfortunately, the show being canceled was out of their hands. Right. I Um, think those first three seasons are objectively, I I argue, to be three of the best seasons of television, period. I am on your level with that. There is not much, again, other than I think you should leave, there's not much else that I quote more than like, I mean, probably on a daily basis, I say there's always money in the banana stand. Um, how much money Her? could a banana cost? Ten dollars. Right. Like, yeah. Every she single funny or day. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. It's you, so mean. You, 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 you. Um, Her. Hey. Yeah. Egg? Oh my gosh, egg. So. Yeah. Anyway, bees? I. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I love Arrested <laughs> Development. So for that moment to happen. Um, oh, the other person that popped up that I love, which again, sorry, this is a little unrelated, but the Dean pops <laughs> the up dean. and the Russo Bones oh, were also... the Duala Dean of Man. <laughs> yeah. So dean when... Lingling. <laughs> oh my gosh. When he popped up right in the beginning of the show, this movie, I was like, oh my gosh, the Russo Brothers community. Like I'm making all these. And yeah. I'm like, I'm like in another God. universe. Like the Dean was never the Dean. He was like the Dean of this college. That's like actually super important. <laughs> like impressive i i thought it was just so funny to put these little easter eggs well that's a big reason why these guys were hired to start directing marvel movies in the first place because they directed the paintball episodes Mm -hmm. of community which are like genuinely on an action scale pretty hardcore Uh, i mean there's only so much they could do with a limited tv budget but but considering but yeah considering that i mean especially the sequel one which was a a two-parter yeah, that was the one that Kevin Feige cites as being his, the the Star Wars slash uh, Western one. Yeah. Yeah, Community, love it. Yeah, I I guess I don't know where I left off with the I'm whole stair the fight. car thing. Um, the fight itself. But yeah, they, they integrated the stair car. Incredible callback to Arrested Development. And as far as action sequences go in Marvel movies, this was so much fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think paul rudd you know another comedy that i like bow down to is what hot american summer i adore paul rudd and everything that he does i think he just strikes the perfect (laughs) note of like comedian and also like really earnestly taking (laughs) things very seriously like he (laughs) yeah like he's well he is but he also isn't that because like but that's what i'm saying your shield captain america exactly (laughs) like he walks that line so perfectly and i think like it's almost like he's a fan of the comics as a person like as a character and he's like this is how superheroes talk and i have this ability now so like i have to talk like that right and that's how i be that's how i like sort of demonstrate how earnest i am in this in this <laughs> role i just i love his character in these and the fact that he has like he kind of proves that he has some 
ability. Like a lot of people really underestimate him because all they see is like, oh, you can turn into the size of an ant. Like that's not a huge deal. But then when he turns into his big, like slow moving giant form, people are like, oh, okay. Like he can actually contribute to this war. I think it's just such, it's a fun way of showing that there can be like different tones in an yeah. action yes. sequence like that, but it's not—it's not something like saying "Beware, Captain!" Like right. yeah. <laughs> something like taking yourself so seriously that then it's just a little like you check out because you're like, "Well, this it's is how people right. would." Yeah, it's camp. Yeah. Yeah, but that point in the MCU, Ant Man hadn't turned big yet. That was the first time it happened. So I think it he was maybe asked moment. in the first one, like, "Hey, can you go the other way or something?" Yeah, and it's like you know what's gonna you know what's gonna happen. Right. Mm. Yeah. Like so you just the, don't know when. And his little, I guess, portal thing that he like throws, oh, the and then disc, he's like yeah. the little disc, and he's like, you know, throw this truck at it. It's and so the fun. Truck expands. Oh, like, I th- that's really I thought it was fun. a water truck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those lines are so silly, but they're so <laughs> sweet. You really believe that that's like the best that he's doing. Like he's doing the best that he can. Right. I just his performance so is funny. so spot on. In yeah. This movie. Um, him, and, him and Peter, I think, really in that scene, that's yeah. the way that a lot of the MC humor, MCU humor, should be. But then it gets so like robert downey jr we just let the cameras roll and him do whatever he wants like Mm. no no no. it's okay to have a script it's okay to have a director like (laughs) yeah don't just let the actor do whatever he wants because he's not going to come up with the best thing there were even some moments with anthony mackie where he just was like mean well that's like that i i will I have a little pushback on that okay. because I really enjoy the start of the relationship between um, Falcon and the winter soldier. <laughs> so I think, I think maybe I don't have like the context to put it in, but well, there were some moments where I was like, why is he being mean? Like, there's no reason. That well, he cause be, like, I mean, mean, he's trying chair. to divorce himself from what Bucky has done in the past because obviously Bucky was the winter soldier. It wasn't actually Bucky, but he's not there yet emotionally to like forgive him. Yeah. I don't have the context for that, I guess. Right. And yeah, like of him when Falcon catches Spider-Man with his uh, red wing robot and Uh Spider-Man goes away and, and Bucky's like, couldn't you have done that earlier? He's like, I hate you. (laughs) I I think it's so, it's so like perfect. They're sitting in the car together. He's like, can you push the seat up a bit? no yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it tees up the falcon winter soldier show which is everyone's favorite right moving on uh the (laughs) i just saw some dagger eyes coming out of (laughs) both danny and peter yeah but we don't have to discuss that anyways it's pretty fun the 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 words of jj abrams about rise of skywalker it's pretty fun that's my favorite that's my favorite i'm not gonna say anything else description of movies now i love i love looking back at interviews with the cast of rise of skywalker (laughs) and like especially oscar isaac and they're like what do you think of the movie and and oscar isaac honestly is like well (laughs) it's it's uh it, it moves pretty quick and they're like trying to like have him compliment it, and he's just right. Not... Well, that's like watching um, Robert Pattinson, Robert Pattinson with, Twilight. with Twilight. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I, there's no end of joy yeah. in those videos for me. Yeah. I just it's so much fun. So if you've seen this movie, you know the airport fight. It is a highlight of the MCU. Oh yeah. In my opinion, it is fun. Yeah. The right balance. Black Panther is so cool. 
the CGI looks miles better than it does in Street his own ahead. standalone movie. Yeah, there are some moments that I think move a little bit too fast, and I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Some things are not lining up quite right. Like, like you see the characters moving in such a way that you're like, and the camera's moving in such a speed that you're like, this is not a human mm. being only because of that clue. But then, you know, it slows down enough that you're like, okay, now I can see it, which yeah. I think has enough of it that you it's easier to forgive. Whereas, yeah. It's really interesting to me to, to I'm just sort of flipping through the comic book mm-hmm. and the injuries are really gruesome. And I think mm-hmm. it's really interesting how they... I mean, I don't, I, I guess, tell me how you feel because sometimes the stakes to these movies feel relatively low because I know, like, they're not going to kill Captain America, like you were saying right. in the comics that they do. Like, they're not going to be extremely gratuitous just because they know that these are going to be like family movies to a certain extent. I feel like parents right. are probably going to bring their kids. A Thor robot isn't going to. Yeah. Just- drill an entire hole through goliath i was gonna ask about that too because in the comics thor is dead and he's a clone but so i was just i guess just asking you know how do you feel about the difference in stakes i mean if you Mm. flip through the comic books like people are getting like teeth knocked out They've got like literal like chunks ripped out of their faces. They're bleeding. Like people's yeah. lips are like hanging out. Yeah. How do you feel about like the difference between the stakes in the comics and the book and the sure. movies? So contextually, that is that is a pretty 21st century thing that they started doing, especially in Marvel comics, to show that that sort of stuff was happening. I think to more like dis- I would assume it's to distinguish them more as like real people as opposed to like dc which is very much like well nothing's gonna hurt superman Mm. batman's gonna get a little bruised up or have his arm in a cast for a week and then he's gonna be fine i think that overall you get a sense in all of the movies especially the longer that certain actors are in the movies it's very clear this person's there were we're only comfortable with putting this person in the makeup chair for maybe 20 minutes a day (laughs) so we're gonna give him a little like band-aid thing or Mm. we're gonna you know have like a little bit of a bruise here but that's it Mm -hmm. but now you have i i would say that for the most part it should be more of what the books is books are showing roadie losing the ability to walk on his own Mm. really i feel i mean he should have died in that moment he should have died um and i feel it's again to bring up my favorite film not movie my favorite film of all time the rise of skywalker um (laughs) chewbacca should have died yes and there was no payoff to that but Mm. roadie sort of still being paralyzed while really bleak and sad and horrible you still understand this is a hard thing to do this is a hard Mm -hmm. thing to overcome yeah and i i think that that's going to be an issue the farther they go into these movies mm-hmm. and the longer they go without explaining that these people, why these people aren't getting hurt, that's going to become more apparent to audiences. Because mm-hmm. I think that I think Thanos, like having half of his face, like burned off. You're like, well, yeah, that makes sense because of this enormous cosmic thing or Peter Parker being like bloodied and bruised. You're like, OK, now I'm starting to get it here a little bit more, mm-hmm. but I don't know. 
I think that that's going to be a problem. A lot of these things, they weren't a problem when they came out as speaking as somebody who was really like into it, even as somebody who is looks at it a little bit more critically. Now, I feel like audiences are smarter than that to start picking up on. Okay. Why do I, even if they can't articulate that it's about stakes or anything within the narrative structure, they're going to be able to start saying like, well, why did they do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that didn't well, matter. Even someone for me, I mean, we have this podcast, so I've become mm-hmm. a lot more technical in the way that I look at movies, period. But there's some part of me that feels a little annoyed, like this clearly feels like a marketing thing, too, where like we want to make as much money off of yep. Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans and all of these like really good looking, amazing people that we can. And so like the continuation of movies is again, as someone who doesn't even watch them all, but understands that like Endgame was kind of a pinnacle. And then to see people kind of, or again, like Benedict Cumberbatch, they walk out of these movies kind of unscathed, Right. I even sort of see that as like, hmm, I wonder if Disney's Disney's making money off these people. Well, like, I wonder if that's a reason why. Which is why really... it's so weird how Don Cheadle, love the man, hmm. talented actor, but people aren't going to the MCU movies for War Machine. Right. Like, well, he was the character to only going kill. to choose. Which, to a certain extent, in, in a parallel way, the book chooses Bill Foster's Goliath, which really... He wasn't even in the main Avengers team at the time. He wasn't somebody who really it it more was clear through the emotional response of the other characters Mm. because of the history and because he had been a part of things previously that you understand that this is a big deal. Mm. But with Rhodey, it's like the only person this really affects is Tony. Yeah. Right. Definitely. I, I completely agree. I, I guess there's also sort of a sub conversation to have there because I think Anthony Mackie has given a few interviews where he's like, Marvel is pretty white. So, you know, right. if they are if they are going to pursue people like Chris Hemsworth or Chris Evans, it's a little bit more obvious that if they're going to look for someone to sacrifice, they're going to be looking for people who quote unquote aren't making them their money. Mm-hmm. And it it starts to look kind of bad if you start to kill off or injure people who aren't like Chris Hemsworth and Chris Evans. Although the big butt here is that. And there are a lot of big butts. Listen, Steve McNiven draws huge butts that cannot be gone unsaid. Um, Uh You have never seen tighter leather on bigger bottoms. I noticed a lot of it on like She-Hulk, I think. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I've seen those promos. They do not look good. Oh, for the show? Marvel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Looks like Trek. Oh, boy. <laughs> we're, we're, we're holding our breath on that one. Miss Marvel has basically just like a thong, and, and that's pretty much all that's going on for her. Ooh. Jeez. Thanks. Yeah. In this book. Anyway, but. Oh, yeah, the big, big butt. butt. Um, big butt of the movie, though, oh, nice. is I think if Vision had accidentally killed Rhodey, even though Rhodey's not a huge character in the MCU, I don't mm-hmm. think audience members, like, I don't know if I could ever forgive him for that. And his sure. vision is a huge part of Infinity War, and he's very likable. Paul Bettany is extremely likable in Infinity War. Yeah. As Stupid, he is, charming face. Right, God. in uh, WandaVision. He's great in both those. And the fact that the Russo brothers made the decision to have Rhodey uh, to be um, paralyzed from the waist down and basically have Iron Man swoop in and help him. And a, a movie later, he's completely fine. That 
was smart for these movies going forward so yes you do see the cynical business side of Mm -hmm. the mcu the reason why no one died is to make these characters more likable for future movies that being said the fact that these characters were super likable is really heightened especially infinity war when spoiler alert vision dies Twice. He dies <laughs> twice, basically. My critical cinephile film bro brain is having a civil war of its own. Of like, Very good. I really, I really don't approve of the no one dies, zero stakes part of civil war. Although what it sets up for future movies and what it accomplishes just as an action spectacle is um, admirable. So yeah, there's my two cents. Yeah. I'm, I'm no, right in the middle that's there. A fair- argument because i think civil war wouldn't work as well if it really leaned into the whole like these are the good side yeah the bad side characters so right there's right you also have a a different audience interaction with it in terms of well people are going to see this opening weekend they're going to see it next weekend they're going to see it throughout the first month of release the conversation isn't we're all getting the same issue at the same time we're all getting the same part of the story it's either all or nothing Mm-hmm. And so if your whole audience is seeing this and making up their determinations on how they feel about it, and then other people that will, you know, unintentionally affect how other people go and interact with this. So if yeah. you're not making it a little bit more even, then you're going to really polarize your audience in a way that people are like, well, I'm not going to see it because I know who wins. Right. You mm-hmm. know, or I already know that this was is not how I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. I uh, I haven't watched the last two episodes of Stranger Things because I had a good idea that someone was going to die and I didn't want to see it. And now I know who died because of spoilers on the internet. But Well, like, yeah, you can't go on Twitter or TikTok without uh, seeing it. Well, but that's my, I mean, it, that's why I'm saying it's a fair point because if people kind of hear like, oh, well, if yeah. something gets spoiled, it's, I mean, I'm, I don't know how popular this opinion is, but I'm sort of of the opinion that I would rather go in having it spoiled just so that I, I get sort of like an emotional distance from that character. Okay. So I, I just, hey, I, every, you got to respect people's viewing habits. Uh, you're I'm my wife. shaking my head no and saying <laughs> I know, yes. I know, I know. And it's the, I mean. No, that's I, what Danny's I hate I'm... spoilers. <laughs> I know I hate spoilers, yeah. but as far as like people dying, I get like very emotionally close to characters. Oh, that makes and then sense. when I found out that this person died in Stranger Things, I was like, I don't know if I can like emotionally subject myself to watching that. So I right. haven't watched the last two episodes. I, I probably I will at some point. Any but... of the last season. So yeah, spare too, because I was not um, there. Are a lot... I have thoughts on Stranger Things, but we're moving on. Um, <laughs> I was going to say love Paul Bettany. My introduction to him was in uh, Knight's Tale as Chaucer. So he will always be my charming Chaucer. I forgot. I guess I was sort of going to move into casting for the movie Mm because I think casting for the Marvel movies is like, it feels like everybody knows who people are already, but I don't always remember who are in these movies. Mm -hmm. And I'm also really enjoying seeing a lot of these main characters be cast in art house movies. Now I think that like Marvel movies have been a really great stepping stone for a lot of these actors who actually can like bring more to a more complex character than we see in these movies. So there are some times when I'm like, Cause now, I mean, I've seen like knives out with Chris Evans and I'm like, he's such a better actor 
then this part maybe gives him the space right. to be. So I also forgot that Martin Freeman are in, is in these movies and yeah. I love him, uh, but he pops up in this He's great. really quickly. He's fun. I, I just love seeing him in, in everything. Um, but yeah, Chris Evans. Oh, and Sebastian Stan has been in some like really great art house movies recently. Like Fresh, Fresh. was really fun until like the last 15 minutes or whatever. Um, but I love seeing all of these actors and be like, oh my gosh, I've seen them in so many movies that I right. really enjoy. Um, last night we rewatched Power of the Dog oh with Benedict goodness. Cumberbatch, yes. which is like just the most the, the breathtaking performance of, of yeah. like, yeah, so. It's so weird to see these guys do really incredible work and in other things that you're just like, oh, you were a real act. You know, you don't yeah. want to say it, but you were a real actor in other points. Yeah. But I also think you see someone like Robert Pattinson where you're like, I know that you do really interesting projects and you're really interesting to watch in this because the studio let the creative team do what they wanted. Yeah. 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 And that is not something that seems to be the case in marvel um, right they mm -hmm. have kept a short leash on things because i think they had that specific vision but now they just have that short leash because they're afraid mm -hmm. and yep. that's a problem no I, I was gonna say the same thing i was gonna ask you if you think that's sort of because of what disney thinks they can do with the arc of like how much money they're making but also like what they want to risk in terms of like artistic decisions and stuff like that. Like, is that, is that why? Or like, I think they see it. The, you look at Endgame, for example, for months, if not, I mean, even still people will talk online about the moment when the portals open up and everybody starts coming back. I mean, that has become cemented and like really into the lexicon of our generation. That is our I am your father moment. I mean, that really Ooh. that mm -hmm. and like the, the snap. I mean, really just mm -hmm. because that was created over 10 years of buildup, it really paid off in that moment. But now the goal has to become we need a moment like that where people are talking about this movie in every single one. Mm -hmm. And if we don't get that, then we're not going to make this much money mm -hmm. um, because people aren't going to keep talking. You know, the marketing is free, that word of mouth marketing. And so mm -hmm. um, you have these big moments that are built up with no real reasoning for it. I mean, like I felt like in, again, for example, Thor Love and Thunder, Gore was the only interesting character in that whole movie Agreed. Because one, Christian Bale was phenomenal, one mm -hmm. of the best MCU performances. Yeah. But also, like, it's clear they took the most intentional time to craft where he was beginning and ending. And everything else in between was like just kind of fluff. And so mm -hmm. him succeeding or failing really mattered. Um, you don't really care if. I'm trying to think of any other recent MCU movie, or like like Black Widow. Like you don't really care if she her sister dies on this fake helicarrier duplicate yeah. thing. Like you don't. But they're trying to present it as like this huge part of her emotional journey, even though we were just introduced to her an hour and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I don't care. 
And some of the shows are able to do that successfully because they're not so focused on those moments. But there are still moments in the shows where you're like, okay, I know this person's going to cameo at some point. Let's just get to it. (sighs) The best way to sum it up is if I'm sitting in the movie for three hours to watch the post credit scene, the story isn't being told right. Mm-hmm. And that is what it is all become about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They know that this is what's going to have the most fan reaction. This is what's going to get the most conversation. So let's just put all of our money on that and anything else that just falls by the wayside, let it happen. Let's have the VFX team do the whole third act in the last month before release. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah, That's what happened with Shang-Chi, by the way. That's a, yep. like literally what happened was the, mm-hmm. the whole last act was scrapped and reshot and rushed crazy yeah Yeah. (laughs) no it's it's so true because you do start feeling used like you're just sitting there to have them sort of blast something at you so that you come to the next movie and you're like harry styles yeah and and you're kind of like well that's not why i'm here especially for a passive you and i mean again i mean we've gotten a little bit off the movie but especially for someone who's not really invested in the arc of things right um, to sit in a movie theater and feel like, well, I'm probably not going to go to that movie. So like, I feel like I've wasted my time. That's a really good way of losing newcomers to the complex of the yeah. MCU. And that's personally how I've felt in a few. I mean, we watched Love and Thunder and I fell asleep through half of it. So I don't really I mean, I understand where they where they want to make money, but I think they're really starting to lose audience members and they're certainly not building their base well Um, no right and even even those of us who have seen all of them we're like you know who have been there since day one who want to see every single one on opening release after probably eternals was probably the first one that i was like do i want to go make sure that i see these movies on opening weekend Mm -hmm. do i really like this was a has been a really important part of my life for 15 years now i don't I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. That's not where they should be. Um, Yeah. Although I do in 2026, I am excited for Thunderbolts. (laughs) Am I right? Man, Um, I am so, (laughs) I'm so excited. I want to touch on this real quick and then get to the final difference between the book and the movie. So Thunderbolts, it seems like the Marvel's version of the Suicide Squad but what's funny is that... Is this in the book? Yes, in okay. the book. They're the villains who are used as heroes, which I do like that plot device, but it's kind of like Suicide Squad. It also is like Guardians, because the Marvel, like the Guardians are kind of like the, the outcasts and could be seen as villains in certain eyes. Is that the Thunderbolts whole deal moving forward? Because it's exactly the same plot device as Suicide Squad, where the government will kill them if they don't stay on the mission. Yeah. So there's a couple of different iterations of the Thunderbolt. Some that I'm, I'm more familiar than with others. I I believe originally it was a team of, it seemed like they were brand new heroes. And then this was kind of like one of the historically, like one of the biggest reveals at the end of a single issue of a comic book at the end of the first issue, it's revealed like, Oh no, this is Zemo and this person and this person, this bad guy. And like, these are actually villains who are, parading around as heroes new heroes to get away with what they want and then there are certain points where it's more of that suicide squad type of thing where you know 
we need you to, you know, we'll give you, we'll, we'll shave time off your sentence. If you do this, we'll, you know, you'll get favorable treatment in this. If you help us with this thing, we need enhanced individuals. There are even times where uh, General Ross as the Red Hulk pulls up one of my favorite runs where his Thunderbolts team is like Deadpool, Elektra, Punisher, the leader, and like him as the Red Hulk. And then like a couple of others here and there where they're all just like mercenaries. And he's like, look, we do one job for me. We do one job for you. That's it. Interesting. Um, Yeah. And it's really funny because they all just are terrible people. And so um, that plays out that. But I think the direction for the MCU is similar to what is being set up here and what I was talking about earlier with Secret Invasion, how Norman Osborn is essentially creating his own team of Thunderbolts in Colorado, where they become the Colorado superhero team. And so it's like bullseye instead of Hawkeye and all the, in in the comic book in the specifically in civil war, they're all the people that Tony bring in near the end to be like hunting Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, they're like, Hey, you need to be, you know, we're going to shock you whatever to death if you decide to do this, but they end up like dressing up as the heroes and yeah. specifically. So to keep the image of the Avengers alive, they make Ares the god of war who is one of like hercules nemesis and sort of in his world but also kind of an anti-hero sometimes they make him like to be like hercules and they make bullseye specifically in hawkeye's outfit he's the new hawkeye and there's a couple other characters they they make look like they dress them up as wolverine miss marvel etc where the general public looks at that and and then um norman osborne is wearing the iron patriot armor that's the first time we see it in the comic books. And so he's this symbol. We don't need Captain America because we have the Iron Patriot. And mm. but really the whole time they're doing whatever Norman Osborn needs to do while also suppressing the real heroes who are underground and being hunted. And so I think that we'll get to a place where they will need to have some kind of team, maybe for Norman Osborn, maybe for somebody else. We see um Julie Louise Dreyfus show up in a lot of different things. The idea I think that a lot of people are following into is like, she's going to be putting together this Thunderbolts team as like an anti Nick Fury, whether or not that's going to be for the sake of Hydra or some other entity, we don't know yet, but she clearly is between like us agent, Elena, black widow's sister. um, Oh yeah. Florence Pugh. uh, Florence Pugh. Flo. Um, Flo. <laughs> maybe Zemo and then Ooh. like a couple of other people over the next couple of years. That would be cool. Right. She's going to put together this team where it's like, look, we really want you to be here. She's going to prop them up and make them believe that they're doing the right thing to make up for these other things that they've done. Mm-hmm. But ultimately they're going to have to make the decision of, do we fall in line with what they, they're going to ask, be asked to do something villainous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems as though they're setting it up to be like, we need somebody who's going to be on par with the Avengers to take them down. That is not out of this world that we can mm. control. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. And that's where yeah. that'll lead. I'm super excited for that. Yeah. Zemo shows up in Falcon and the Winter Soldier TV show, and then he works alongside with them. And it's kind of, he becomes the cool comic relief. Oh, I like him. You know how actor, the villains yeah. come back in sequels and now they're working with the, like Loki. Sure. Yeah. So 
you might know Daniel Bruhl from Inglorious Bastards. Yes, I did know him from that. Right, and uh, yeah, he's in a lot of good movies. He is German, Spanish, and also he speaks French, so he is uh, Neapolitan. Yes, I speak. Yeah, Um, yeah. So, okay. Final big difference I wanted to talk about the difference in the ending battles. So, the book has a climactic second act battle, quote unquote, and then another final battle Mm -hmm. with both teams fighting um, in the negative zone, which is where Shield was imprisoning everyone who is against the superhero registration act. All the can we talk about that moment with Daredevil? as he's entering and he's got the piece of silver and he flings it to Tony. Yeah, man, that is one of, I guess that's 31 pieces you have now, Judas. That is one of the best lines in comic yeah. books. Yeah, that was oh, intense. Geez. Like, what a setup. Like, can you imagine what he had to do to come across a shekel? Yeah. <laughs> to, like, to like have that moment. He's like on, on eBay. He's on eBay, yeah. <laughs> Oh Shackle. my gosh! Yeah, what a what a line. Also, what a crazy um, escalation to say like, we're not even going to put you in a human prison. We're going to put you in the negative zone where literally like nobody can access that. Yeah. Ever. Mm-hmm. But then they you know go yeah they go into the the big sort of arena of downtown New York. I do love the double twist of there being two double agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. I think, right. I think that's actually like well done and was mm-hmm. surprising. I did not see, what was it, Hank Pym? Yeah, Hank Pym is, uh, and it's Hulkling, which actually is also kind of crazy because Hulkling is actually a Skrull, I think, but he's like not evil. Anyway. Oh. Uh, and they have a big climactic fight where in the movie, what's more epic is the thematics. So the movie peaks in the second act with the airport fight. Right but then dives heavy into themes and emotion with mm. just the fight at the end. There is just between Bucky cap and Iron Man over a personal issue, not over the Sokovia Accords, as we've right. talked about. I think that is a strong subversion. There is part of me that every time I watches it, I want to reach out to Tony and be like, well, cap is kind of right here. Like it wasn't Bucky. Right. Like it, it, at the end of the day, I, I know you're you're mad and you're a macho man, just letting your instincts fly. But at this point, you know it, it wasn't Bucky. It, mm-hmm. it maybe not let it go, but like don't try to murder. Take a minute. Just take yeah. take a minute. Also, Tony hasn't processed any of it. You're telling me in that whole time he's gonna lash out with vengeance on that level. Mm-hmm. Maybe given the context, that's why. I don't know. Yeah. So that's something that always sticks out when I watch it. But I do love the subversion of it not being a climactic fight with the Winter Soldiers, of it being something very personal. Mm. They replicate the issue seven cover with Iron Man blasting Cap's shield. Beautiful shot. Uh, The cinematography was done by Trent Opalock, who shot all of the MCU movies with the Russo brothers. Mm. Great shooting for stunts, right? Which is why the movie looks so good. But also there are these moments that are that are uh, solid and look a lot right. better than the cinematography in phase four films when they just shoot on an LED <laughs> stage. And it looks it, I work in this very specific industry and it's all about teaching the directors like how to shoot and about taking time. 
but there's no time spent with these new films. They just rush in and they shoot on the wall and then leave. So Black Widow was almost all Russian. Yeah. And it was rushed. Yeah. Russian. Oh, I, I didn't get it because I don't it I haven't t- seen the movie. It took me a second. Yeah. That's okay. You shouldn't. You shouldn't see it. Okay. Yeah, duh, please. God, but don't yeah, see it's, it. But yeah, it's so strange. And, and the thing I always go back to is like, you have the money to do this. You have the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are dictating all of Hollywood's calendar. Yeah. And who is releasing what when around a Marvel movie or not. What is happening here? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Why yeah. do you think this isn't like you released two movies? You released no movies in what 2020, and like you came out fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Your big four movie year that was supposed to start this new trend. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, luckily, Captain America: Civil War was made in a time where they were clearly putting the effort into storyboarding uh their scenes what? No. so the fights look great and i mean what are your thoughts on this more subdued finale i think that the airplane scene makes up for a lot of it i do think there should have been something else where they would have had everybody sort of at each other i don't mm-hmm. think that they could have with the way that they set it up of all of them immediately going to prison in the middle of the ocean yeah um which also what <laughs> so i don't really think that they could have they, they really kind of put themselves in a place where they wouldn't be able to do anything else i think it's more fun to have a big final battle but i think most of the most of my issue with the differences and this is something i've said time and time again and my fiance always just tunes out everything I say as soon as I start saying it because she's heard it the most out of anybody is that (laughs) my problem as a comic book reader isn't that things aren't exactly as they are in the books. That is not a problem. I accept Mm -hmm. that. I get that. It's Mm -hmm. when you have really well-crafted moments and stories and characters who you don't take advantage of the richness of their character in the books. Well said. For the sake of just rushing it in the movies. Thank you. Well said. Well and said. And so <laughs> the fact that the fact that the book ends with not because Captain America is physically beaten, it's because he realizes the people who matter to me, the people who this our decisions affect, don't want this. And they stop him and he voluntarily puts down the sheet. Because he could have just, you know, swung everybody off of him, all the people. And he goes to get handcuffed and puts the shield down voluntarily. That is so much more of an impactful, really just hitting the nail on the head. And almost, I mean, it it, it forces him, him being the bigger person. Yeah. yeah. Makes Tony yeah. wrong in a lot of ways. Would Tony have stopped that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably not. Mm-hmm. He told Cap to, to do it. In his mind, he was like, look, you did it. You won. This is what you deserve. Mm-hmm. And Cap's like, no, this is not the way I want to <laughs> Whereas win. in the movie, Cap beats the shit out of Tony. Tony's like, that's my dad's shield. And Cap's like, I don't want this thing. Yeah. <laughs> F you. Right. I, I'm going to go oh, off on Bucky because I love Bucky. Right. Um, literally. Oh, yeah. Let me go back to my friend who has all of the vibranium. <laughs> Sorry. No, <that's... laughs> I'll... Go ahead, have this one. Have the stolen yeah, uh, colonized I, version of it. That's I fine. Think that's that's <laughs> a completely fair argument. I think we definitely agree that if there's something really 
deep in a source material that you don't take advantage of like why not like yes. it's, it's such a head scratcher and it really makes you wonder about the people who well and this was like a question that i asked really early on into like our dating arc i guess <laughs> if you want to think about it as a movie act one like because you knew sure. i mean you were involved in the industry and so i was like an honest question like why do movies end poorly when someone like me could come up with an ending mm. that would feel better or more satisfying or like or is more um loyal to like a source material piece and you were like like a lot of times it's production companies just meddling with editing or reshoots or you know something that they they observe in like a screening or something yeah test audiences test audiences are really problematic sometimes right story is so tertiary at that point yeah. yeah. So it it is interesting to just contemplate like why movies end the way they do when it's so unsatisfying that there's literally something out there. Right. A lot of times like authors will spend years on their on their novels or especially on like a first novel. I've heard that in a lot of cases, like sometimes these authors have thought about an idea for 10 years or more. And when they finally get their book published, it's like a, a 20th iteration of an idea that they right. had. To 20 years ago and Frank that's Herbert why something can be so satisfying for six mm-hmm. years before even exactly. starting to write exactly exactly like, and so and then when you come up to like a, a production timeline or something like you don't have that but at the same time it's like you want to throttle people because you're like but you did have it like right you, you did you had you, it it was right the, there the version of this was all set up mm-hmm. you may have even shot this version of it yeah it might be out there on film yeah <laughs> But anyway, we'll that's never know. that's just sort of a yeah. I know we need to <laughs> unless you're Zack Snyder, and then you get to release everything you filmed for Justice League. Listen, right. I'm excited to have the confirmed ending of Black Panther two, where Shuri oh. has to fight against her antagonist vaccines. Um, uh, that really whoa. is going to be um, great. That's going to be a great piece of con- contention. Oh, goodness. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the whole thing. Okay. Um, well. Gosh, this has been not Gosh. only a great conversation about comparing the book to the movie, but, but also, also just a, a two-hour one. You're a right. Re- yeah. A retrospective of the MCU. And also, you know what, Pete? I didn't know you were engaged. Congratulations. Oh, thank I you had so no much. idea. Yeah, that's so ring. exciting. I did know. Oh, I love it. Oh, nice. Nice. She right. proposed I did first. Know. Oh, that's so sweet. We knew she was going to. We knew she was going to. Thank you. Uh, and then I proposed like two weeks later, but I bought my ring for her first, so... I you won. know what? In this winning, day and age, don't let anyone tell you what's right oh, or wrong in a relationship. Believe me, we have had to tell. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard it all. <laughs> oh, oh no, yeah, no, this is not. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard it <laughs> all. I you. mean, as as a very like straight laced couple who did everything very traditionally, we also heard a lot of stuff that we should have oh, done. I'm that sure. Wasn't done. <laughs> Anyway. So final rating for both the graphic novel and the movie out of four stars. Pete, go ahead. All right, look, sharks. I walked in the room. When I first saw Civil War, it was probably wasn't my favorite. I, I think I had such strong feelings and, and positive feelings toward the first Captain America that I was like, this is really hard for me to you know, I think I've appreciated Winter Soldier more over the years, and that has still stood out to be the best of the three. I think when it came out, I would have given it more of like a three. It's definitely gone down to a two or 
yeah, maybe a 2.25 just because there are certain things in it that I'm like, you don't need to be spending this much time doing this or why are we doing that? In terms of the book, I think it helps that I have the, the context and sort of what culturally was happening and what else they were doing in universe. House of M was the only they, they had like a soft reboot, I want to say in like 2004, where the Avengers essentially ended. But then they came out with this team of new Avengers, which launched into this run that spawned House of M. And then Civil War, Civil War, House of M touched all the other books, but only had like one or two issues of tie-ins for each series that was going at the time. Civil War had like six issues, like three to six issues of every other book had a Civil War tie-in. And so it really affects everything. And there are still pieces of it that still kind of feel like a part of things today. They did a Civil War 2, which was, in my opinion, terrible. Um... (laughs) Anyway, all that being said, for that reason, I'm out. No, uh, Civil War, (laughs) the book, I say is a 3 to 3.5, mostly on the level of being really a start of this whole hero versus hero mentality in superhero media. It it really Mm -hmm. played a part to be like, you know, now we've seen it in so many things where it's like, that's the main thing. It's like, you know, now we don't need interesting villains anymore because we have just the heroes fighting each other. And this book was a real starting point to that idea that that could be interesting and in Mm -hmm. fact, really cool and crazy. So yeah, I would say definitely a solid three to 3.5 out of four stars. I like that. Excellent. Lore. I thought I was going to be able to avoid my, my stars. There's only three people here. You I... can't avoid... There's only four stars, three people. <laughs> you can I, trash I just... whatever. I will not be mad. I'm just not. Your audience, I'm still... I can't say. <laughs> I know. You're going to be in our DMs like 10 minutes after we finish our recording. Why would he say that? Why would he say that about the book? <laughs> He's just talking about me. Exactly. Um. Listen, I'm still coming around to graphic novels. As much as I loved Watchmen, I feel like I still put that on my like, like my peak list of what a graphic novel could be. And maybe because I haven't read Civil War in context, I I just kind of took it for what it was. Yeah, I thought it was like a fun read, but I I probably won't go back to it. So probably just like a two point four or a two out of four, just because I'm not a huge graphic novel person. The movie for me, again, taken completely out of context of the MCU, I had a lot of fun watching it. There were some laughable moments. So I'm going to go three out of four. Just Laughable as in humor, not you're laughing at the movie. Right. Some of both. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Fair. So I would say three out of four just because I've watched it twice and I don't, like, I probably would watch it again. Yeah. But but again, like, thinking of these two things as, like, very isolated for me. For sure. Um, and it's something that have, has like come into my life sort of late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rad. Cool. Yeah. For the source material, I do love the story, the conversation, and some of the twists and story beats. I think that is very compelling. I have a problem with comic book dialogue. As you were mm-hmm. talking about earlier, some of the lines are just so either corny or awkward. Lofty. Or, yeah, lofty. It's very presentational. 
you know? Yeah. I just I just have a big problem with that as well. So for those reasons, um <laughs> for those reasons I'm out. I I would have to go three out of four stars, hundred percent equity in my business. So yeah, three out of four. The movie, again, I need to preface this. I am not a fanboy. Okay. <laughs> but this is big you know it's it's a big a ki- Steve McNiven button. Yeah. <laughs> a movie that's similar in terms of energy and rewatchability is uh, The Social Network, which we're going to watch later on the season, where it's just like so rewatchable and it just like moves. And the elements, the technical elements are so well done that you it just like it, it's this flawless like singular thought that just like a train is down a track. Mm. So who would have thought those movies would ever be in the same conversation, but (laughs) I just did it. Um, So yeah, it's very flawed, but I love it as a rewatchable fun romp. So three and a half out of four. Okay. Nice. Well, this is going to be a bear to edit. It's your turn to edit. So have fun. (laughs) It's always my turn. No, I do it gladly. I'd love to listen to this again, as you will listeners. And you'll also rate and review and subscribe uh, if you want to. Or it's follow now, not subscribe. Gosh, we're, we're out of the lingo mm-hmm. these days. But Pete, absolute pleasure to talk to you, both as a friend, but as a well of knowledge in terms of comics. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm so happy to be here and, and look forward to, you know, eight years from now when we do Dune 2. <laughs> exactly. Um, when that yeah. finally comes out and in Avatar 3, I think I think we really could go off the book for that one. Ooh, okay. No, there's no book. Yeah. There's no book. Yeah. There's no book. The, oh, the okay. book is the novelization of Pocahontas by Walt Disney Studios. Sick! <laughs> Snaps. And this is this is the deeper conversation. This is really this is where we get into it. Where does James Cameron yeah, get off? This is all a preamble. Anytime. Listen, Sandman just came out. Um, I'm just reading Sandman for the first time, which I had never read, and it is phenomenal. Oh, so if you're looking for I didn't something, know that was based on a book. Yep, Neil Gaiman. Oh, there's something else. We we always reserve a couple slots for new releases for our podcast, so maybe we'll have to plug that into next season. It's only ten episodes in like 300 volumes. <laughs> oh, I don't know God. how long, the, how much is based on the the book. Yeah, we'd love to have you back on. Thanks. Or it depends on how this episode does. We need to see <laughs> yeah, how no, how many sense. downloads no. it gets. Yeah, I think metrics are important, and yeah. uh, we don't want to greenlight anything or announce it. At... <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, uh, gosh, we're coming just like the Disney execs. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening. Thanks, Pete, for being on the show. We'll be back next week with our coverage on... Accidental Billionaires. Oh, right. The Social Network. That's social funny. Network, yeah. I didn't even put that together. Yep. That's next why I'm week. thinking about it. <laughs> All right. We'll see you on the next one.